Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that tries to spread the word about trains, planes and automobiles. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories including a Queensland company has developed a reverse automatic braking system that they want to take to the US market. We discuss the last Australian-built Commodore. We talk about the launch of the new Suzuki Vitara. And in our panel discussion with Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories, including modern trends such as how your dashboard may look in the future. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. Ford's Broad Meadows plant in Victoria will close on October the 7th next year, thereby ending the manufacturing of cars in Australia. Ford plans to decommission its vehicle assembly operations and put most of the facilities within the 44-acre site up for sale. Some of the area, however, will be maintained as part of Ford Australia's local engineering outpost, which will keep a workforce of designers and engineers that will assist with the development of global products. While a company spokesman has confirmed the end date, Ford has yet to lock in precisely which vehicle will be the last Australian-built Ford. There has been considerable support for automatic braking systems that prevent cars from running into cars in front of them. Now a Queensland company is looking to raise capital to develop an automatic reverse braking system that prevents drivers backing into people or other vehicles. Auto Innovations Group has a system called Reverse Alert. The automatic reverse braking system is being sold as an aftermarket option and is said to have strong demand among fleet operators, particularly in areas like construction and transport and also tourism-operated campervan vehicle rentals. The Indian city of Noida, which is part of the Greater Delhi area, is set to use drone cameras for traffic surveillance. The drones will begin to fly over city sectors and highways within the next two months, providing real-time visuals of traffic flow for improved traffic management. Traffic department officers said the drones would be used for surveillance, data collection and traffic management. Apart from cameras, the drones will have different sensors attached that will give live updates on traffic jams and accidents. The drone camera will be fitted with geo-positioning sensors and communication hardware to relay data in real time. The visuals will also hasten emergency services in the events of accidents. There is a strong push in many areas to introduce direct charges on vehicles to discourage people from driving, particularly in inner city areas. But the Italian city of Milan has gone in the reverse direction by removing a user charge. In late July 2012, an Italian court called an abrupt end to the city's congestion cordon, known as Area C, which cost €5 to enter from 7.30am to 7.30pm. The pricing program was reinstated in September of that year. Before and after studies clearly show that with a toll, traffic volumes decrease as people bypass the toll or travelled at a different time of the day. Pollution also increased without a toll to discourage traffic. In the Northern Territory, 
open speed limit zones will remain and be extended by a further 60 kilometres to allow one continuous open speed limit zone, excluding past roadhouses and through communities, on the Stewart Highway, from north of Alice Springs to the Ali Kurang Rail overpass. The Northern Territory Government said there has been a lower number of accidents in the trial sections and 130 km per hour zones compared to the five-year average. Some recent reports claim that a number of overseas car companies see the Northern Territory open speed limits as a good opportunity to test their cars, thus bringing business activity to Australia. Overdrive is cautious about the analysis of the data as the numbers are quite low and there has been a long-term trend of a reduction in the road toll based on a wide variety of factors. A London underground is thought to be a good example of a transit system. The Circle Line has its critics. Now an architecture design firm, NBBJ, has come up with an unusual solution. The firm has proposed that the tunnel's lines be filled with three horizontal escalators travelling at different speeds which could whiz passengers between stations at roughly the same time as underground trains once you take into account that you have no waiting time. The fastest walkway would travel at 15 miles per hour and the slowest at just 3 miles per hour. Based on these speeds, plus an average 3 miles per hour walking speed, passengers would get to their destinations just as quickly as they would on a city circle line train, especially as the walkways wouldn't need to slow or stop at stations. Rear-end accidents account for a third of all crashes on Australian roads. A new study by the Queensland University of Technology is aiming to find out why drivers struggle to follow at a safe distance. Dr Judy Fleeter from the University's Centre for Accident Research and Road Safety said tailgating was ranked by drivers as one of the most annoying habits on our roads, but accident rates indicate that most drivers were guilty of following too closely. The key to reducing nose-to-tail crashes is to help people understand the importance of keeping a safe distance from other traffic on the road, Dr Fleeter said. An online survey has been established to determine what Queensland drivers think is too close when travelling behind another vehicle. Vic Roads is introducing its updated roadside memorial policy that will provide greater support to grieving families following an extensive community consultation process. There are different opinions on roadside memorials erected in memory of family and friends at the specific location where they died on the road. Some feel that they are a reminder to other drivers of the danger on the road, while some believe that they should not be so elaborate as to be a distraction. Vic Roads will offer guidance through its local offices to families about the placement of memorials to ensure that they can be visited and maintained without becoming a safety or road hazard. And that has been the news. Holden has announced the last Commodore to be built in Australia. It is a makeover rather than certainly not a new model as you would expect. Let's identify the differences, but let's also look at what image Holden is trying to push. 
Is it about having a grand farewell or positioning Holden for its future products as a full importer of cars? Paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au went to the launch of the Commodore and he's on the line to talk about it now. Paul, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, David. The quickest, most powerful, most advanced Commodore ever built. The biggest fact, I guess, that is that they're talking there about is the V8 at the top of the line. Yes, we didn't hear very much about anything else in the range. It was all about the big, loud, noisy look-at-me car, which is, as you say, the biggest, quickest, most powerful, most advanced Commodore ever built. We heard it once, we heard it about <laughs> half a dozen times. Yes, I guess, I guess you would have. When they came out with the first VF Commodore, Holden was condemned as focusing on power in a time when fuel consumption was a big issue. Have they not learnt, or has times changed? Um it's a little bit of both, I think, David. They have obviously learnt, but in the case of the V8, this being the last Commodore, obviously Holden have looked at their numbers and realised that their V8 sales are, in percentage terms, way, way up. Possibly, possibly, because people are buying it as it's the last of its kind. It's the last, last of it, the last dinosaur to fall in the big hole, <laughs> um, or just because it's it's a really nice motor car. Yeah, I, I know that they do, you know, they've put together a very good package. In fact, V8s and V8 utes have been a major part of their sales. Yeah, the V8 ute is still seen, I don't know why, but it's still seen in Australia as sort of the working man's sports car. Um, I don't quite understand that. But these days, I mean, fuel prices have come down again. Or, or alternatively, buyers have sort of adapted to the way prices have gone up in fuel, so they're back on back on the line of you know let's get something with you know eight cylinders under the bonnet that makes a lot of noise and and, and guzzles fuel, but who cares? It's you know you're dead for a long time, as the old expression goes. <laughs> the, the the point is, of course, that you know that blokey V8 supercar image has been a pivotal point from the days Brocky raced them uh, right through for the Commodore. It has been, but as I said, in, in traditional terms, they haven't sold in the, in the numbers, that, well, I wouldn't say the numbers, in the percentages they're selling now. The numbers are, let's not talk about the numbers because Holton will cry, hmm. um, but in percentage terms, they're selling more V8s now than they ever have in the history of the, of the Commodore. Uh, and as I said, I think most of the reason for that is it's the last of its kind. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, at the last of its kind in the sense of a Commodore built in Australia. Of course, Holden will keep the nameplate? Apparently so. They assure us that the next, and I put inverted commas around it, big car, will wear the Commodore nameplate. Now, you don't throw away a name that's been around in Australia for 37 years, um, even if it's just a nameplate. I mean, the car won't be Australian-built. Uh, it won't be as big as the Commodore. There's still some discussion about whether it will come from, uh, whether it'll be a Buick or whether it'll be an Opal. Um, the smart money is now sort of leaning towards the Opal-based uh, insignia as perhaps their next large car, um, but it will be badged as a Commodore. I'm still not convinced. I don't know quite which way it'll go. I presume they'll say that uh, there was some Australian engineering, some Australian input into any model they bring out. They will, and it's quite true that there is. In fact, one of the things that the new the new managing sorry CEO of, of Holden was telling us was that they're retaining a, a fairly large, well, 
they're retaining a sufficient number of local people to um, still have an input into design, still have an input into making sure it suits Australian conditions. And his expression was, and it was fairly well scripted, as was a lot of his presentation, but his expression was, it, the next Holden and subsequent Holdens will all drive as Holdens should. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In a straight line, one would hope. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Paul, that's lovely. We're going to talk also about the Vitara, but for the uh, Holden at the moment, I thank you greatly for your time. You're welcome. And that was Paul Morell. And we're coming up, we're going to, in a little while, uh, just after a small break, talk with Paul about the, the Suzuki Vitara, which has just been launched. And if you would like to hear a longer interview with Paul about the last Australian-built Commodore, go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au where we discuss, among other things, what might be Holden's new advertising campaign once they lose their Australian-built product. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. Suzuki say they invented the compact SUV segment of the market in 1988 with the release of their first Vitara. Now they say they have reinvented it with the latest model, which clearly shows how far this segment has come. I went to the launch of the new Vitara the other day and wrote a piece for the Newcastle Herald. I did a few paragraphs on the history of Suzuki in four-wheel drives. I did not have uh, room to go into great detail. Well, practicalmotoring.com.au has gone into detail and we welcome back Paul Morell to tell us all about it. Paul, uh, Suzuki's four-wheel drive history goes back before the Vitara, doesn't it? It goes back a long way, David, um, and they're very proud of their, their four-wheel drive heritage um, and rightly so, I think. Uh, I can I can sort of recall many, many years ago one of the, the tiniest cars I've ever seen, the uh, little, the little um, I think it was the LJ90 or the LJ80 or the LC200 or something, tiny, tiny car that would go places that big four-wheel drives couldn't even think about getting into. It was a mini Jeep-style vehicle, very much a focus on off-roading. I think comfort was not high on its list of achievements. You're, I think comfort wasn't in the brief at all, to be honest. <laughs> your kidneys took a pounding even on sealed roads, I think was a, a, a way you would describe it. But as you say, I think you were on a number of... Uh, uh, the marketing launches and that where the little thing did particularly well compared to some of the other more traditional four-wheel drives yes they did um i mean one of the things that one of the things that makes a four-wheel drive get to places other vehicles can't get is the ability to climb over rocks and, and short wheelbase and narrow track and also being able to get between trees is a fairly important factor yeah yeah, and, and and not not being worried about, uh, as you say, getting between two rocks. It's uh, it can it can fit through much more comfortably. I, and they were a good. They're a funny little car. I had a mate who had one similar. There was a Daihatsu out at that time too, wasn't there? Uh, yep. And uh, he was going up a hill, and he put his hand out the side and pretended to turn the key as <laughs> though he was winding up the <laughs> clockwork to try and get it to work. I, <laughs> I had an art director many years ago who used to wind me up all the time by uh, 
by taking his Daihatsu to places that I could not follow him in a Land Rover. <laughs> um, I mean, the Land Rover would have got there if only it was, you know, half the size. So the 1970 was the LJ10 starting, then got to the Vitara in 1988. It wasn't card-like comfort by any means, but it was at least starting to accept that you could use it more day-to-day, in day-to-day traffic. Yes, the uh, the original little Sierras and whatever. Those. Suzuki are really strange with their naming principle. I mean, it's the Jimny or it's the Jimny Vitara, Jimny Sierra. It, it was all sorts of odd names. But as you say, in 1988, they came out with the with the Vitara, which was a much more sort of grown-up four-wheel drive. Uh, it had put on weight. It was a bit more comfortable. It was certainly um, very, very popular with people who wouldn't ever take it off-road. Um, young girls liked it. Uh, it was, you know, it... it it had all the appeal in many ways of a Jeep, that it had a folding soft top and it looked a bit chunky and it was good fun and it was you know, cheap to run and very reliable. So, oh gee, I just talked everyone into going and buying a 1988 Vitara. <laughs> you should uh, premise that with, it for the time. <laughs> for the time is exactly right. Two models, the RTS and the RTX, they're both powered by a 1.6 litre normally aspirated engine. How did you find it? Um, Suzuki claimed that it was would give the sort of performance and the feel of a two-liter hatch, um, a, a, you know, turbocharged two-liter hatch. Uh, it doesn't. It's definitely a 1.6-liter engine. It's it's got more than more than adequate performance, I must say. But it's not the quickest truck on the block. Let's put it that way. Certainly sufficient. Certainly fine. Um, I don't think anyone's going to have a real problem with it. But yeah, it's it's a 1.6-liter motor. So, an interesting car, the new Suzuki Vitara. They have, they say, reinvented the small SUV part market. Paul, lovely to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, David. Paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au. We were talking about the Suzuki Vitara. And there is a longer interview with Paul about the Vitara where we talk about the great looks, the good colour schemes and some nice features. Go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. And it's time again to talk about some unusual stories as we get towards the end of our program. And once again, I'm joined by Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. Now, Errol, I've been predicting, there's a couple of trends here I want to uh, touch on. I've been predicting for a long time that uh, car dashboards will become digitised completely to the extent that you will be able to set it up in any way you like, like you can mm. personalise your computer screen. Yeah, or, your, or, your, or your mobile phone, yeah, which is basically, yeah. basically where this is coming from because the, mm. the, the displays are, are now so cheap because they're all being made for the mobile phones and tablets that um, it's now trivial to put them in a car. I mean, I think, I think of the, the cars we've been road testing lately I don't know, at least three quarters of them have got what I would call a hybrid display where at least part of the dash changes depending on what you're doing. It's a hybrid because they still have dials. But yes. what what you're referring to is there's nothing. There's basically just a, you know, an iPad for want of a better term 
that shows everything and you can change how it looks. You can have analog dials, digital dials, no dials, 100 yep. dials. <laughs> I'd, I'd have the speedo in, in digital numbers. I just, I, I don't like it, the speedo dial. I like it telling me I'm doing 97 kilometres an hour, or, mm. Mm. you know, rather than the dial sort of hovering around the 100, uh, which can get, you know, it can be rather small if you're in a car that's built to go up to 260 kilometres an hour yes. on the dial. Yes. Uh, that's fitting a lot of numbers in. In fact, with some dials, of course, they change the scale. That yes, up it, to 100 kilometres an hour, it's every 10 kilometres, but then after that, it's every 20 kilometres. Yes, you have an ex exponential <laughs> speedometer. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think, it's yeah. a, I think it's a great thing, but um, obviously uh, uh, all these displays require more and more software behind them to run them, and software has Stop. bugs. <laughs> Software can go wrong. So pretty soon, uh, pretty soon, cars are going to become like your computer, where every 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 month there's another update to fix some yes. bug. Yeah, they'll change it. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I, I met a lady. That, where a, did that button go? I just got used to where uh, it was. <laughs> I met a lady today at the um, bank, the automatic ATM, and uh, she said, "Oh, they've changed it. You, have you got any idea how I press the button to get a receipt?" And the button was, do you not do you want a receipt or not? But do you want to change receipt option? <laughs> and uh, and I'm thinking, but the silly thing is, I then put my card in the wrong way, and she had to show me. But that's a, another story. Uh, but but we were talking there about a a report talking about the virtual cockpit in cars, and we mentioned that the the other day when we talked about the Citroen Cactus, which now has two screens one in the middle of the dashboard, the, like a normal screen, and the one in front of the driver, and both are just like iPads. They're just mm. flat screens that stick up out of the dash. Now, and one of the other trends, Errol, we talked about man-spreading. This yeah, is we where... Yeah, covered that a, a few weeks ago. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is a great, this is great term. This is, this is basically you just being a selfish, you know, so-and-so and taking up two seats on the, the bus or train or whatever by spreading your legs out. I do think uh, it's a bit, sex, bit sexist, though, because a woman is just as capable of, you know, putting a handbag next to her and opening well, her legs true. too. But but the women, men are, seem to be more renowned for it. We're mentioning it again because the Oxford English Dictionary uh, has now put manspreading, uh, the, the practice whereby a man, especially one travelling on public transport, adopts a seating position with his legs wide apart in such ways to encroach on an adjacent seat or seats. Uh, they've also put in words like bants, which is short for banter, and NBD, an abbreviation for no big deal. Now, I looked it up. They've also put in ABS, which um, uh, means there's a long co uh, chemical compound, uh, acrylon, itrile, uh, butandian, stry <laughs> uh, styrene. Um, it's a composite plastic, but it's also, of course, anti-lock brakes. Yes. Uh, but they don't have other things like ESC, electronic stability control, which really must be coming much more prevalent. Yes, or, or, or EBD. Mm. Or, um, electronic brake distribution. Yes, or any mm. other TLA. <laughs> <laughs> Three-letter acronym. Yes. Well, that's, ABS is not actually an acronym because it's not, oh, well, ABS, I suppose. We tend to call it ABS rather than ABS. If we called it yes. ABS, it an acronym, wouldn't it? Yes, uh, yes. But, yeah, uh, the, and, and, of course, um, automatic 
uh, emergency braking, uh, uh, AEB, is becoming much more prevalent. So perhaps there's a need for them to explain. Now, one of the other trends that's happening, of course, Errol, is that we're now getting video cameras on the front of cars and we've got our phones that we carry around with them. And the, particularly on, on, on the dashboards of cars, you do it for three reasons. As legal proof, if you get into an accident, you can prove what's happened. To get some uh, think something for the social media, to show that might entertain some people, or particularly to get a news report. Now, Paul Pelton, in America, not surprisingly, uh, he uh, came across a situation where a car had crashed, the car was burning, people inside were in deep trouble. So did he rush to help them, the teenagers inside? No, he whipped out his cell phone and he captured it, even to the point of opening the rear door and still filming while the people were inside. Yeah, this is this is really just, this is the... You know the lowest yeah. of the low, really, um, and 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 one of one of the teenagers did um, did eventually die from from their injuries. So um, this is a pretty um, horrific. Know, it, it's it's a horrific. It's a it was horrific um, accident to begin with, but what he did is just you know unforgivable. And and the almost the sad part about this is that the only thing they could charge him with was. Um, uh, what was it called? Something about trespass yeah. or something. Yeah, trespassing. He, he, trespass on a motor vehicle because he opened the back door. Um, huh. There, there was no, you know, failing to assist or some other sort of um, thing. Yeah, so so um, there was a crime. Yeah. So uh, apparently he's he's now sort of retracted and you know changed his story, as it were. That no, no, I wasn't trying to sell it and I wasn't trying to profit from these people, this tragedy and. Blah blah blah, but um, he put it up on Facebook. Yes, He's now it taken is. it yes. down. Apparently, so. apparently, he tried to sell it to some TV some news, news. Um, sites for footage. Um, yeah, it's sorry, just, I just it's reviles. It's horrible. Uh, yeah. It's a sad reflection of where we're going. The, the, uh, I mean, uh, he got have, he of course got his comeuppance with his basically just being, um, you know. You know the social equivalent of being stoned for his his actions. So um, he's car- basically carried through this. Carried through the streets and being jeered at. Yeah, know, the yeah, humiliation. Basically. Yes. Um, so uh, the short, the the moral of the story is: um, if you see someone in trouble, put your bloody phone away and help them. Um, Even if they can't charge you for anything, the social media will bite you back. Mm. I, I was, I, I think you know, someone should have grabbed his phone and thrown it into the fire. All right, Errol, lovely to talk to you. We'll uh, probably see you next week, hopefully. Thanks for your time. No worries, David. See you. And that's Errol Smith, and we were talking some quirky news. And Errol and I discussed some other quirky news stories, including using public transport for things other than just making a trip, a new telly movie about Peter Brock, who should be cast in various roles, and flat-pack furniture squeezed into cars, what's legal and what's not. It's on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Paul Morell, Brent Davidson, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.